We're going to turn in our Bibles to Genesis 37. We're going to read a little bit, of, a fair bit of scripture this morning. So don't phase out on me. Don't just hold on. You'll see where we're going as we go through. As I said before, as I started off saying, as we read this passage, it's my hope that you and I will see something more than just a story and just some history in the Bible. It's my hope that we will uncover the power and the presence of Jesus at work in this situation and parallel it with our own situation and circumstance and be reminded that even in the midst of my darkness, God is at work. In fact, that the message today, my uh, label, my, is called God was at work even in my darkest time. Genesis 37, we're going to start at verse 2. It says, This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilphah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. And they couldn't say a kind word to him. Verse 5, one night Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain and suddenly my bundle stood up and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think you'll be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Soon, Joseph had another dream, and again he told his brothers about it. Listen, I've had another dream. And he said, the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed low before him. This time he told the dream to his father's, uh, father as well as his brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his fathers wondered what the dreams meant. Soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flock at Shechem. And when they had been gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, your brothers are pasturing the sheep at Shechem. Get ready and I will send, them, I send you to them. I'm ready to go, he replied. Verse 30, uh, chapter 37, let's jump to verse 18. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him and then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. Let's jump down to verse 23. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and they threw him into the system. Now the system was empty, there was no water in it. Then just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming towards them. 
It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Judah says to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. And so when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the system and sold him for 20 pieces of silver. And the traders took him to Egypt. (laughs) You know, if I was writing a Bible for a religion, that would not be a story I'd put in. There's no heroes in this story, isn't it? There's no 10 steps to redemption in this story. Religion is about a set of rules that we do to try and please God. But Jesus teaches us, the gospel teaches us, that when we understand we're fully accepted and loved, then we'll begin to obey and discover who our God is. Religion wants you to find a way to try and make yourself right with God. This story, as we'll unpack it, tells the truth about our reality. None of us, not a soul, can make themselves right with God. We're all broken in some way. We're all got issues in some way. There's dysfunction and brokenness in every single human being because of sin that pervaded the world in the beginning. This is a story that reminds us of a number of different things and ultimately points to Jesus and his work on the cross. And we're going to see that. We're going to unpack that. This is a story that tells us three things. In my opinion, there's, a, there's plenty of stuff in there. I mean, I don't think when Moses was panning under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, I don't think he was thinking, now let's talk about how to become a good father. I don't think he was trying to give us 10 steps to knowing how to dream a dream. I don't think he was trying to get that, although all of those applications are real and all of those applications are good and true, but actually he was trying to tell a bigger story. He was actually trying to get you and I to see if we would step into that story, if we would see that story from a different perspective, if we would take a fresh look and place ourselves in the middle of it, we would see that our story isn't much different. We would see that in the midst of dysfunction and stuff going on in our own lives, we would see the hand of God at work. We would see the grace of God at work. And that's the three things I wanna show us today in this little story. The hiddenness or the the reality of our brokenness or our sin. The second thing I wanna show through this story is the reality of God at work in the midst of our lives. Even though it's hidden, And thirdly, I want us to see the grace of God at work in our lives. So I want us to see the brokenness. I want us all to take a sigh of relief. You know, God loves us. He is for us. He is so for us, He won't leave us where we are. You know, often the message of the love of Jesus gets messed up. We say God loves us and God accepts us and God is for us and that is all true. But the reality is if you love someone enough, you won't leave them where they are. You'll help them to get to where they need to be. You'll help them to get along the line. You don't look at your children going off in all directions and say, well, I just love you. 
As a parent, you want to step in. You want to help them. You want to give them direction. You want to create a great future for them. Well, I'm here to say that this story tells us that God is at work in your life. God is crafting behind the scenes. God is at work. Not because you've done so many great things. Not because you've kept the Ten Commandments. Not because you pray and shunda, shunda, runda, runda. It's because God happens to love you. And if you'll connect with His plan and purpose, if you'll take a step towards Him, He'll take a hold of you and He'll put a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. So in the midst of darkness, you'll find yourself falling forwards. You know, the Bible teaches us there's great hope. We're hope dealers. We're meant to be people full of hope. In a world full of darkness and crazy, we're full of hope. I don't know if you've ever heard people say, well, if God's in charge of everything, I think he's doing a pretty poor job. If God's in charge of this world, God's in charge of what's happening around my life, he's incompetent. And that's what some people see. And in fact, if we're really honest, can we close our eyes, bow our heads for a minute? Sometimes even you and I feel like that. Because we forget the story of what the cross is all about and we forget the reality of God and working in our lives and we want simple solutions, three easy steps, a self-help book, someone to come along and give us all the answers so that we can have the incredible life that God always wanted us to have. Does that make sense? Or am I the only one that thinks like that? I think so often in our lives, we forget the power of God in our situation and circumstance. Can, let's just look at this story and let's, let's see the brokenness. Let's see, let's see the hiddenness of sin. You've got a family in the middle part of the world at that time that was, was one of the most influential families of the world. They had all that you'd ever hoped to have. They had money. They had wealth in that sense. They had all good things going on. They had lots of sons and different aspects to their life and cattle and so on, but it was fully dysfunctional. In fact, if you look at uh, the bit of the story behind it is that Jacob, who became Israel, his name was renamed to Israel. He was not loved by his father. He grew up in a family where his father loved his older brother over him. And so he grew up in that family looking for the ultimate thing to try and fill a gap and a hole within him. He went down and he discovered this girl. He thought, if I can get this girl, if I can get this Rachel, she'll fulfill everything I need to fulfill. And I will be finally the person I always wanted to be. So he finds eventually after being through a whole lot of circumstances he gets the girl and he turns the girl into an idol in his life when good things become ultimate things they become destructive things in our life and so he loves this woman and then for reasons best known only to those people back then because it certainly wasn't in God's plan they married other wives and had multiple wives all over the place and he loved this woman didn't love that woman different things are going on the family was an absolute disaster. Then the woman that he loved finally has a son. And so what does Jacob do? Jacob loves that son and makes the rest of his family experience exactly what he experienced growing up. He loved them so much that it caused them to hate their brother. 
And in the middle of that, God comes along, puts a dream in Joseph's heart. Now, Joseph's no angel in this story. In fact, I think Joseph's a borderline psychotic mess. Because when it says, and he came back and gave an evil or a bad report, or gave back a bad message on his brothers, what that really means, if you dig underneath that, if you look into the original language, it means he made up a story and gave some half-truths to get his brothers into trouble. Joseph is the loved brother, fairly narcissistic, sees himself as all that and a bag of chips, as we'd say. Sees himself as the number one little man in the whole world. He's 17 years old. His father gives him this coat and he's like, look at my coat. He tells his brothers about his dream. Now the dream is so countercultural because in the day in which they lived, the elders, the uh, younger always served the older. Whether it was your brothers or whether it was your father, the older always was in charge. The younger always gave in to the older. It was always part of that culture. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that's where it's all about. And he's saying, listen, all of you people, I am going to rule over you all. He's 17 years old. Have you ever met up with a teenager? <laughs> Has your teenager ever said, Dad, you don't understand? You don't know. You don't know what it's like. Like, how would you know? Like, I've never, I've never been 17. I just <laughs> arrived. Joseph is on his way to becoming a really horrible person. He settles on out goes out to the field can you begin to see the dysfunction in this family it looks the perfect family they got wealth they got power they got good looking kids they got the whole thing all together but buried beneath the surface is a dysfunction like Mount Vesuvius ready to blow ready to explode and not only that but in the not too distant future there's a famine about to come into the land and there's a famine that's going to wipe out this people, not only them, but everybody else. And God sees a famine coming. God sees that there needs to be a, someone to raise up to save them from the situation that is looming ahead of them. God sees something going on. But this is a mess. You're like, God, wrong family. God, there must be another choice. <laughs> Like, seriously, God, like, seriously, why would you choose these people? Isn't that what we often say? God, and th then we turn it on ourselves sometimes. Well, God, you know, you know I'm a mess, or you know this, you know. And God says, all I need is a willing heart. All I need is you to engage. All I need is, do you know what I also discovered? Is that I think God actually engages and actually, see, God didn't create all the pride and the mess and the, the desire to murder and the, and the hate that was going on. But God grabbed a hold of it all and overrode it all and overwhelmed it all with his presence, his power and his love. <laughs> Doesn't that give you great hope? That's what we're meant to be seeing in this story as we read this story. 
We're not meant to necessarily just say, well, now, if you're a good father, don't love one child more than another child. If, you're a good, if you want to be a, a good person, don't marry five wives. That'd probably be a good start. <laughs> but in the midst of all of that, there's brokenness. The Bible teaches us for all have sinned. For all of us. And that's what this story is trying to show. <laughs> I just get amazed when I read this whole thing. Do you know when it talks about the robe being ripped off? Do you know the, the Hebrew word underneath that, the phrase, means it's the same word they use to skin an animal. So when they ripped the robe off him, they were like they were skinning an animal. They grabbed that robe with, with violent force and they ripped it off him. And then they found an old well, a hole in the ground. They took the cover off. And the Bible says in the word they use when it talks about throwing him, that word actually also is used or normally used when you throw a dead body into a cave. So they threw him violently down a hole. How would you like to be Joseph right about now? Dysfunction happening right beneath the surface. A family ready to explode. A bunch of guys ready to murder their brother. All this going on. And yet God chooses them as a model of redemption and hope for the whole world. It's through their line that Jesus will come. It's through their family that Jesus is going to finally come into the world and finally be the ultimate saviour of the world. It's through their line of dysfunction, of brokenness and every other thing that God says, well, you'll do. I choose you. Where he overwhelms all the stuff going on and produces a solution that will ultimately save the world. So the first thing you've got to see is that we're all broken. There's none good. <laughs> no, that doesn't mean we have to get depressed. You know, we're not going to be like those Christians. Oh, I'm just... We'll see the moral of the story. God involves. God, in God intervenes. God changes the whole thing. And he changes you and I. He takes us where we're at and turns things around and makes stuff work together for good in our lives. So the first thing you've got to do is you've got to see the hidden sin, the hidden brokenness in our lives. Second thing you've got to see is the hidden work of God in our lives. <laughs> oh, man. We all pray, God, do something. And we normally have a plan of what that should look like, don't we? We have a great plan of how God should solve the problems of the world. We have a great plan of how God should solve your problems and my problems. This story shows us something incredibly different. This story shows us that although God is interested in your solution and your destination and you getting breakthrough and you finding an ultimate solution, He's not interested in doing it your way or my way. <laughs> he just plans to do it His way. Why His way? Because it's the best way. You say, well, how can it be the best way? I've got a better plan than you, God. That's right, you're not God. You're not all-knowing. You're not the all-powerful. You're not the one that understands it all. 
So here am I in the midst of our, in the midst of situation, circumstance, and we've got to begin to see the hidden work of God in our lives. You've got to think through the story. Joseph gets a dream. The dream is he's going to save the world. The dream is he's going to end up in Pharaoh's house. The dream is he's going to be in a situation where actually he's going to be able to make a change in the world. I'm not suggesting that's the dream that all of us will get, but that's the dream in this situation that God gave this young man. And in the middle of all that, God had a plan to achieve that so that his family would ultimately be saved from famine. In the midst of his family being saved from, heaven, uh, from famine, that God would actually use that as a story, as an illustration of the coming one that was going to actually save us all from the pit of hell, that was going to take us all on a journey of redemption and change our situation and circumstance. You've got to see the hidden work of God in our lives. See, Joseph has a dream, stupidly tells his brothers the dream, gets all excited about the dream, gets all excited about the end and all the rest of it. And then his father says, I want you to go and see your brothers. He goes to Shechem where his brothers are supposed to be, just happens to meet a guy who happened to overhear another bunch of guys who happened to be his brothers, who happened to say where they were going, who happened to be able to tell Joseph, oh, you are needing to go to Dotham. And so he goes to Dotham and his brothers happen to see him. His brothers decide to kill him and murder him. And Reuben happens to intervene and says, let's not murder him. And then Judah, the other brother, happens to decide, let's sell him. I mean, what sort of brother is that? Where he says, you know, why would we want blood on our hands when we can sell him and make some money? There's a brother you wouldn't want but they but just happens to actually choose to sell him to a bunch of people who just happen to be traveling through who just happen to be on their way to sell slaves to Potiphar's house who just happened to put him in the middle of all that can you see there's so many coincidences it's impossible for this to happen not without God at work behind it but if you were to ask Joseph, hey, Joe, how's your life working out? How are you feeling right now in the middle of a pit? Not real good. How are you feeling when your brothers want to murder you? Yeah, had better days. How do you feel now you've been sold to this bunch of people that don't even speak your language? How do you feel now that you're in Potiphar's house? If we were to go on feelings... Do you know that when God is at work in our lives, nothing makes sense until we get to the end. <laughs> it doesn't. It actually looks like a horrible, messed up mess. But when we understand that God is at work, when we begin to see the hidden work of God in our lives, when we begin, imagine how strong we would be. I go back to that thing like, I just want God to do it. You know, in Dotham, Dotham is a place that later on becomes a place in the Bible where one of the prophets is. In the middle of that pit, Joseph's crying out. We find about that later when we read further in the story. He cries out for help, cries out to God. And it doesn't appear that any help comes. But there's another Another thing that happened in Dothan, where this prophet was surrounded by an army who was going to wipe out the entire city. And he cries out to God and angels appear and 
the whole army, gone. I mean, that's the type of God I'm looking for. That's the type of answer I'm looking for, isn't it? I want that type of answer to my prayer. I want, all right. I want the angel, come down. I mean, why didn't the angel come down and just go, well, you're all filthy, rotten people, you know, to the family back in Joseph's day. Joseph, you're just a spoilt little so-and-so. And and Jacob, you need to get your act together and stop loving other kids over the top of this kid. And why don't you, people have got anger and murder in your heart. Why don't you sort that all out? Why? Because it never would have been solved. How many times in our own lives when we look back at our life and we go, my gosh, that experience, although terrible and I never want to experience and never wish it on anybody else, but it has been the making of me. I don't want those experiences, naturally speaking. I didn't put my hand up for experiences like that, but we live in a fallen world that's full of sin, that stuff happens that God takes a hold of and weaves it into our lives so that He can see His plan at work and our lives that heaven would invade earth. What do you see in your darkness? What do you see in the midst of your mess? Don't get me wrong, I'm not being insensitive. I, I, listen, there was another one that ended up in a pit. Joseph was stripped naked. Sound familiar? Joseph was taken forcefully. Sound familiar? There was one, a few hundred years later, who was taken forcefully who was stripped naked, who was thrown forcibly into a pit called death, who cried out, no one heard, who was betrayed by those closest to him, mishandled by people that he came to rescue. And he got thrown into a pit called death. Can you see the parallels that are going on in this story? Can you see Jesus in the midst of all of this? Can you see that God is at work to produce the ultimate end? If none of those things had happened to Joseph, that family would have been dead in a few years' time. Not just them, but every person in the region. Because Joseph had to go on that journey to get to that place where he could be in Potiphar's house, where he could get in the Pharaoh's house, where he could become somebody that could institute change in the world so that when the famine that hit the land came, that there was hope and redemption in the middle of it all. God's at work in our lives. Imagine if we could just stop and reflect. And I want to encourage you and I to stop and reflect. Stop looking for the 10 steps. Do your part. Do everything you can. But now we've got to trust God. If you need therapy, get therapy. If you need to see your help, get help. In fact, listen, most of our problems will not go away just by self-help books. They only go away when we get our lives radically altered by Jesus when we get into a community of believers. Do you know most of your mess in your life, most people don't want to believe this, but most of the mess that we have came into our lives because of relationships. Half of what we do is because we were brought up a certain way and we don't want to be like that. 
Half of what we do, we went through something, we're like, and we're in reaction to that. Half of what goes on around us is all, and, and our reaction to it, is all about the relationships that have happened all around us. And we want to be, no, I'm a self-made person, and I did it all myself, and I did it my way. And we're going to sing the song. We'll produce the story, we'll put it in a book, we'll do a few TikToks and we'll put it on out there and we'll become a global influencer and everything will be fine. Isn't that true? Oh man, I'm almost out of time. So you've got to see the fact that we're all broken, we've all got sin. Second thing you've got to see is the hidden work of God behind the scenes happening in our lives. That every situation and circumstance, everything God is at work, everything God is doing something. And the third thing you've got to do, the third thing you've got to do if you really want to break through and break out, is you've got to understand God's grace. He loves you. You know, the story of Joseph, he got this coat put on him. The coat was to signify, we don't know what it is, you know, we've made musicals about it and everything else and pretty and no one has a clue what his coat really was, except one thing about it. it. It was rich. In other words, it cost a lot of money. And when you're wearing a coat in a desert, that's a bit strange. <laughs> you're out there in the middle of it all and wearing your little coat, you're doing it because it actually looks and means something. And that coat is representative of the love of God that's in our hearts. And if we would just begin to lean back on the love of God within our hearts, if we put on, as I call, put on the coat, if we decide to put on the coat and get a hold of God's love, remind ourselves that God is at work, but He's not just at work because He's a God that is distant. He's at work because He's a God that loves us. He's a God that's invested into us. He's a God that is for us and not against us. He's a God that loves you. And I want to tell you, when when you're singing a song, when you're worshipping God, there are times when you can experience God's love. There are times when you can feel His love upon you. There are times when you can just begin to, you sense how much God loves you. But that's not all the time and feelings are deceptive. You've got to choose to put on that love. You've got to choose to remind yourself God's at work, but He actually is at work because He loves me. God's at work. Hey, it's not about the mess that I've created. You can create all the mess you like and God will be at work in the middle of your mess. Better you don't create the mess, just as by the by. But nevertheless, even in our mess, God is at work. God is doing what He called you, wants to do to produce your life and to produce something great. <laughs> You've got to put on the coat. You've got to choose to get a hold of it. You've got to choose to see the reality of what's going on. You've got to choose to actually remind yourself that he suffered, he went into a pit for my sake, that he came, that heaven came to earth in the form of Jesus. He died on a cross. We remind ourselves of the cross. That's what communion's all about. So in the midst of our situation, we remind ourselves that it wasn't a dead end because God takes every death and turns it into a resurrection. God takes every pit and turns it into a palace. God takes every part of our lives and every situation, circumstance and turns it 
it around so that like Joseph at the end of our days, we can say, we can look at people, you meant it for evil, but God turned it around for good. God worked it in my life. God made a way where there is no way. We have a God that speaks into darkness. We have a God that brings light where there is no light. We have a God that creates. We don't serve just some distant, far off thing. I don't know why stuff happens other than the fact we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that is not living at God's best and God's purpose. And stuff happens when you're living in that world. Why doesn't God come today to solve it all? Because He is willing that none would perish, that none would be missing out on heaven. He wants all people to find and to know Him. And I don't know how long before He returns. I do know He is gonna return. I do know He will wipe away the tears. I do know that He will create. But in the middle of that, we gotta live. And we proclaim His death, His power by our lives. Can you see that in the story? (laughs) Can you see that in the story? Will you just stop and see? Imagine how strong you would be in the midst of your situation and circumstance when you do all that you can and then you put your hands in the air and you say, well, God, I don't understand. I honestly don't know. You can even get mad with him. But when you start to remind yourself of his goodness, he is for you, not against you. You've got to put on the coat. His love for you is everlasting. How do we know he loves us? Because he died for us. While we were yet sinners, the Bible says, Jesus died for us. On top of that, you can experience His love. We don't serve a God that's distant. We don't serve a God of rules. We serve a God of the impossible. We serve a God that takes ordinary, everyday, broken people, takes their messes and takes them on a journey to produce God's goodness. We did communion, says, to proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Do you know what that proclamation is? It's not allowed a little bit of wine and a little bit of bread. It's about the fact that that death and that resurrection changed everything. It meant that the grave that I feel I might be in has a resurrection. It meant that in the midst of hardness and harshness and difficulty, There is a way forward. It meant that although I can't see a solution and I can't see a way out, God, you're at work. That's Christianity. That's what you signed up for. When you said, Jesus, forgive me, come into my life, because God had a dream. The God of the universe had a dream that all people everywhere would have heaven invade their world, that they would no longer be destined for destruction, but that He would come on in and He'd make them brand new on the inside. He'd give them a fresh start, a new beginning.
doesn't make you superhuman. It doesn't make you all your problems go away. It doesn't make you the perfect person. How many times have you heard, well, Christians shouldn't do that. And it could be true, but we're all on a journey. If you're staying where you are, first, when you first got saved, you're like, well, I don't need to change anything. Well, you're, God is going to do everything in His power to get you to change. You say, well, I, I don't like that. No, none of us do. But you like the result. God has a plan for every one of us, for every human being. God has a plan that you would know Him, that you would discover Him. And in discovering Him, you'll find you. So many, so many people are confused. Confused about who they are. Trying to be so many things. So many Christians try to be the perfect Christians. It's not a bad thing, except when it becomes an ultimate thing. You try and be a Christian just to please God. God is already pleased. So many people from their heritage and the family they grew up never felt like they could please anybody. So all their life, they're trying to do something to please somebody. And to please. You'll never please them. You'll never please God. He's already pleased. God accepts us. But He loves us so much. He's not going to leave us where we are. He's going to take us to become more like Him so that when He shall appear, we will be like Him. I don't know what He physically looks like, but I know what He's like. He's a lover of people. He's a forgiver. He's a believer. He brings hope. He brings resurrections. He gives new chances. <laughs> That's our God. Christian, if you've forgotten that today, will you take a fresh look into the Bible? See Jesus on every page. Start looking on every page and be reminded of how much He loves you and how much He's for you. Christian, Stop trying to be and just be. I say it all the time. You're all American. I'm trying to be one. And I can tell you from experience, it's a lot harder to try and be one than to be one. You don't have to try to be a Christian. You just need to be a Christian. In other words, live the way... Make choices that line up with His Word. Get into His Word. Get into, get into worship. Get into church. Get into community groups. Get involved. You can't be a Christian by yourself. You become weird. If you've lived long enough, you discover that people that live by themselves are really strange people. Christians are worse. I'm part of the universal church. None of the Bible, the Bible, the Bible focuses on community. If a man says he loves God, hates his brother, he's a liar and the truth isn't in him. I don't like them, I don't like them, I don't like them. You don't have to like them. 
just have to love him. How do I love him? You allow the change in you to change you. You allow what's in you out. I know it's not easy. Christianity is serving God. It's the simplest thing to get into. But it's quite a journey, isn't it? It's actually like being on a roller coaster. You can't get off. You're stuck. That little thing's holding you down. And it's got so many dips and turns and it flips you upside down and then spins you round and round and you're like, I'm not... Some people love that part. Some don't. But serving God, it's the best thing. Can we close our eyes and bow our heads? Christians, I want to talk to you just now. As the band comes on up. If that's you this morning, you're going through darkness and you need a revelation of his life and his love in your life. If that's you this morning, I wonder whether I can pray with you right where you're at. Just give me a little wave. If life seems to be closing in on you, if stuff around you, I'm just, we just need to get a revelation of him. If that's you this morning, yeah, there's people all over this building. Maybe online that's you. Can I pray for you? Let's just believe that the Holy Spirit will give you a fresh revelation as you read the Word. Fresh understanding that you feel that coat around you, a coat of love. Fresh understanding that, that He's at work. Father, in the name of Jesus, for every hand that's raised, I ask right here, right now, you meet with them. Open their eyes to see. Lord, help them to give them wisdom. Surround them with people that will help them. The Lord, let their eyes be opened and let them sense and feel your love and presence right here, right now. For those that are going through sickness, let peace flood into their soul. For those who've got loved ones away from the kingdom, Lord, we rest in the knowing you will do your work. We'll do our part, but God, we believe for you to do.